What's up everybody, Tara Wellman here, back with a series preview that will take us into the first week of July. Can you believe that we're already that far into the season? Now, the Brewers might be sort of the surprise of the NL Central at this point, but the Braves are definitely the surprise of the NL East, maybe even more baseball-wide as far as how good they have been so far into the season. Now, there's a ton of young talent. There are a lot of names that maybe baseball fans aren't familiar with in general, but you're going to need to be. And that is why I have brought in an expert in the field of Atlanta Braves baseball, Nubias Wilborn. Well, Nubias, thanks so much for joining me today, fresh off of a Braves game. Thanks for taking a little bit of time to uh, to talk some Braves baseball for Cardinals fans. <laughs> no problem. I uh, got my deadline in and in the press box, so ready, locked and loaded, ready to go. Perfect. Sounds great. Now, this Braves team um, has been exciting. It's been fun for a lot of Braves fans. Has it been surprising uh, for a team that, you know, maybe is playing in a division that they weren't expected to be leading? Have you been surprised by what you've seen from these Braves? Yes and no. Um, it's interesting. La- I got to go back to last season. Last season, I remember asking a trusted member of the Braves organization where the team was going to be and if Dan's response was going to be rookie of the year. Said person literally laughed at my face. It's like, nah, he ain't going to be no rookie of the year, and we'll be lucky to win anywhere close to 80 games. They just didn't see it. There were some major deficiencies and major holes. Um, pitching was old. I mean, you got to remember Bartolo Colon was there. Um, Jaime Garcia was there. And R.A. Dickey. I mean, that's what you were throwing out there. Sean Newcomb hadn't even been called up yet. And even when he did get caught up, he struggled. And Mike Fultonevich wasn't ready, and nor was Julio Tehran. Julio Tehran had a terrible year, right? So pitching was bad. Other than Freddie Freeman, you didn't really have much offensively. I mean, Nick Markakis was a doubles guy, but that was about it. Ozzy Albies hadn't been caught up yet. And Dansby Swanson, as I mentioned, struggled. He started the season out in the two-hole, went down to 7-9. It got so bad, he went down to the minor leagues. But that gave guys like Johan Camargo a chance to play. That ended up resulting in a call-up of Ozzy Albies, who has been pretty amazing to watch this year. Ender Enciarte, in spite of his struggles, he's caught, he's kind of caught on over the last week or so. And anyway, I started to say, this person told me, hey, man, look, um, I really think we're going to have a good team. I really think we're going to, you know, be in the mix. So I, I, I remember I did one of these panels and I had the Braves around 500 and, you know, I got laughed at. And, you know, I mean, you know, they left the weekend 12 games over 500 and, you know, going into a series against the Reds. So, and now, of course, getting ready to play you guys. Yeah, so when you look at that and you kind of see where this team was maybe supposed to be by all of the, the expectations and what guys even in the organization thought, what is it that's made a difference? Is it just young guys stepping up or is it, you know, are there specific things that you can look at it and go, you know what, this is what kind of flipped the switch or, or helped this team turn the corner maybe earlier than expected? Well, let's, I mentioned the pitching, right? So let's start with Sean Newcomb, who, you know, seems like you guys won't get to see. So, you know, think your lucky stars if you're Red, <laughs> a Reds fan, excuse me, a Cardinals fan, if you're not going to get to see him, right? Because he has been great. He's been the Braves' top pitcher this year. And quite honestly, he might be in line 
to if not start the All-Star game, definitely make the All-Star game. Then you look at Mike Fultonevich. He's been a lot more consistent. ERA has been around 220, 216 at some points. He's been solid. Brandon McCarthy, who you probably will see in this series, you know, he's still that veteran. Anibal Sanchez has gotten a lot better, been more consistent, been able to contribute. And for the most part, up until recently, with injuries of Ronald Acuna, who is on his way back, you know, we thought that was going to be a season ender. It wasn't. And then you look at some of the other things that have gone on. For the most part, this team has been pretty healthy. They've had seen some injuries to the bullpen with Arodis Vizcaino going down. And so what that has done, they had to bring up Evan Phillips, this young prospect they really like. So, yeah, things are changing. Things are moving quickly. A couple of guys specifically I want to talk about while we're talking pitching. I want to mention Brandon McCarthy because um, in a weird roundabout way, he kind of comes up in a lot of Cardinals conversations because of the history of the shoulder injury. Uh, mm-hmm. Because Michael Waka has dealt with the same injury. And we've kind of watched right. this transformation of Brandon McCarthy over the years and what he's been able to do to keep himself relevant. Um, mm-hmm. What has it been like watching him kind of go from where he was at one point, which was a pretty low low, trying to figure out how to deal with that shoulder injury and what he's doing now where he's able to contribute as a starter in a major league major league rotation. Well, first of all, he's really fun to cover. He's yeah. to him and, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a to-himself guy, but he will give some very thoughtful answers. For instance, in his, in his last start, which was on Sunday, he talked about just how it wasn't exactly the outing he wanted. You know, he was asked the question, hey, you really only had two bad pitches? Like, no, I had more than that. They just got lucky. You know, so I said all that to say he's a very forthright, forthcoming guy. I like him a lot. And I think to see him just kind of continue to have success, I mean, you know, you look at that trade. I mean, you look at, you know, Kemp getting traded, McCarthy coming over, Adrian Gonzalez, all those guys. You figure, okay, those are all just contract dumps. And McCarthy has been able to be a contributor, and that's been icing on the cake to what hopefully frees the Braves up to spend some money going into next season. And then, of course, offensively, you did mention um, some of the guys that have been part of that youth movement. Uh, you, you mentioned, first of all, the veterans. Let's talk Freddie Freeman, Nick Marcakis, the veterans. They're not exactly <laughs> grizzled, ancient, old guys, but they're right. you know sort of leading the charge for some of these young guys like Ozzie Albies. What's it meant to this team to have this resurgence of Nick Marcakis and then Freddie Freeman just being Freddie Freeman? Well, I mean, look, um, Nick Marcakis ended the week leading baseball in hits. I mean, who saw that coming? <laughs> he's not really powering the ball over the fence a lot. You know, seven, eight home runs. But I tell you what, this is a guy who just continues to find way. I think as Brian Snicker, the manager, says that, that old steady pro, you know, and he's just been that guy. Now, you know, he's 33, 34, so I guess in baseball terms, he may as well be 60, but nonetheless, he's found ways, and his defense has improved. I think a lot of it, too, is just, you know, we had the neck surgery, and he seems to be very healthy. He came into spring, I remember seeing him down in Orlando, very fit, very ready to play, and he has just continued to improve and evolve, and it's been great to watch. And Freddie Freeman, what can you say about Freddie Freeman? I I just think we're just now starting to discuss Freddie Freeman the way we should. You look at a guy who, at 28, is going into his prime, and he has a chance to have his prime coincide with the Braves 
getting good. Like you mentioned with Ozzy Albies, you mentioned Ronald Acuna, you mentioned Dansby Swanson, you mentioned Johan Camargo, Austin Riley down in the minors. We haven't even talked about Mike Soroka as a young pitcher. So you mentioned all these guys is young guys coming up and Freddie being a leader. I mean, it could be some fun years for the next three, four years for Atlanta Braves as Freddie Freeman really enters what should be his best years. And, you know, you, as I sit here at the ballpark and I look over and I look at the number three for Dale Murphy, the number six for Bobby Cox, the number 10 for Chipper Jones and so on and so forth. Number 29, you know, say for Eddie Matthews and 35 and Warren Spahn. And, you know, if you notice all these guys, of course, the 44 for Hank Aaron, as well as Glavin Souls Maddox. What do all these guys have in common? Single names. I think Freddie Freeman has a chance to put himself in that echelon if the next three to four years go the way they will and they could for the Atlanta Braves. I was going to ask where you think he fits into sort of the the legacy of the Atlanta Braves because it's not really very often um, that you see a guy, as you mentioned, who's coming into his prime, playing the best baseball of his career at the same time as the team is really sort of coming into its own. That's sort of the perfect storm of opportunities to set himself up as one of those guys for the Braves. And he signed through 2021, which means again, you know, you look at it. Okay. This is 2018. So he has a few more seasons to where things could go really well and go well before the Braves have to start paying, you know, Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies and those guys. So potentially, they could look to add a Mike Moustakis at third or somebody like that. If they wanted to do that, this season or definitely next season, they could have some fun in free agency and really build this club. Because, you know, building within is great. That's what the Braves did in the 90s and see how that worked out. But always remember, those Braves teams will spend money. Greg Maddox didn't come up in the Braves system. They had to get him. They had to trade for John Smoltz. They had to add on, you know, so many other guys. Terry Pendleton was a signing guy. You know, Sid Green on that first team. Fred McGriff, Crondo, who should be in the Hall of Fame, by the way, was a guy they signed. Yes, obviously, Tripper Jones and Andrew Jones and so many guys came through the system. And Glavin, of course. But, you know, the Braves have always had to replenish, as has every team, as even you mentioned Houston Astros, who I'm sure you guys are big fans of up there in St. Louis. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know... That is a team that has had to add Verlander in that mix, right? So at some point, the Braves got to add some money, but we'll see what happens. But in the meantime, to answer your question, forgive the long circumlocution, but I think Freddie has a chance to put himself where he's definitely in the Atlanta Braves Hall of Fame and potentially a retired number if things go the way that they could. Because you look at his numbers over the past eight years, it has been pretty phenomenal. And to think there was a period where the Braves had to make a decision between him and Jason Hayward. Yeah, well, I think they, they made the right choice <laughs> as far as that goes. Um, although, to be fair, Jason Hayward has played a little bit better as of late, so we'll give credit you know, for where credit I, is due. <laughs> I like Hayward a lot. I yeah. think he's a really good guy, but I'm just saying, I mean, where do you think, where would this be if not for Freddie. And by the way, last thing on Freddie, he does not get enough credit for his defense. I mean, he probably should have already won a gold glove, and maybe this year he'll finally get recognized for that part of his game as well. 
You know, I think a lot of people overlook defense, especially when you're talking about some of those guys that are at the core of the offense of a team. Um, mm-hmm. But that definitely is is part of what makes them just these remarkable athletes that can be the leader of that team. But then, as you mentioned, let's talk a little bit about Ozzie uh, Albies because it's so much fun when you have these young guys that come up through a system and then all of a sudden you see them at the major league level and, and all of the expectations are pretty accurate. <laughs> you can see why there have been so many expectations. So what's it been like watching him and what he's done for the Braves this season? Well, he's a bad, bad little man. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, the guy's made, I think he's listed at 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, he's more realistically probably 5'5". Five, five, and they list him at 165 pounds, maybe more like 150. But I tell you what, the guy is chiseled. He probably has one of the lowest percentage of body fats I've ever seen an athlete I've ever covered. I mean, guys just, you know, all muscle everywhere. And he is built to play baseball. And he is fast and strong, has great hands. And, you know, I've told a story on Twitter, and I'll tell it here. At spring training, I'm standing next to the batting cage, and Bobby Cox is there. And Bobby's like, yo, that little, I'm not going to say what he said, but that little guy is going to hit at least 20 home runs this year. I was like, Bobby, what, what do you mean? Like, you know, he hadn't done, he, he hadn't hit that many in the minors. I know he's got some pop. I'm thinking more 12-15. Bobby's like, no, he's going to hit at least 20. And you look at it, he's almost there now. And even coming out of a little bit of a slump, he's starting to put it together and figure it out. For a second-year player, this kid is phenomenal. And, you know, he's a guy, I remember Scott was telling me, you know, that guy's going to be a MVP candidate very soon. And, you know, those are the things that I started to look at the Braves when they talked about how Ronald Acuna special he was and the improvement in Sean Newcomb and the improvement in, as I mentioned, Dansby Swanson. And, yeah, Ozzie Albies is phenomenal watching. And let's not forget, I mean, this team has gotten contributions from some of the quote-unquote others, right? When you look at what Charlie Culberson has brought to the table over the last six, seven weeks particularly when Ronald Acuna goes out. So, you know, initially, you know, Preston Tucker, who unfortunately got sent down recently, he made some contributions. Ryan Flaherty, Peter Boyos, a lot of those guys have made contributions. And, you know, it's just very interesting to see how this team continues to find ways to get people to add to the mix rather than subtract. And it's a team of guys who like each other. Like, you go in that clubhouse and – you know, after every win, they're playing music, they're rocking together, they're hanging out. You know, um, the ballpark, I don't know how familiar you are with the ballpark, you know, down down in Gwinnett, excuse me, in Cobb County. So it, there's an area called the Battery. It's kind of similar to how the Cardinals have their thing when you kind of walk around. But, yeah, it's nothing after the game to go into Yard House or Antico Pizza or some of those places and see Albies and Acuna and some other guys kind of hanging out and with each other and guys who maybe you wouldn't expect. But, yeah, it's a good group of guys who like each other and play hard, and I think that's a big part of why they are where they are because they expect to be there. I was going to ask you about that sort of dynamic with this team because, I don't know, I feel like there are different camps as far as uh, 
chemistry and how it translates to play on the field and, and how relevant it is. Obviously, winning <laughs> solves a lot of that, and you don't have to really uh, figure out which came first, the team chemistry or the, the success. Um, but it, it, that's been a point of conversation for the Cardinals the last couple of years, that there hasn't maybe been the greatest dynamic in the clubhouse. Uh, a, a lot of good guys, but maybe just not always on the same page. So when you start bringing in a lot of these young kids, um, I'm always curious how that impacts uh, the the clubhouse dynamic, the the team vibe, especially when you're mixing them in with some guys like Marquecas or Freeman or some of those veteran players that have been around and, and maybe don't quite have the same uh, the same energy level as some of the new kids. <laughs> well, you know, Nick Marquecas is a very interesting guy. He's not exactly Mister Excitement, right? But I tell you what, he's a steady guy. All his teammates love him, and he has a really good, like, kind of dry wit, you know. Mm. Um, unique sense of humor. But that being said, I mean, when you get a Ronald Acuna and a Ozzy Alves and, you know, uh, I can't remember. Who, oh, Dontrell Willis said, you know what? Those guys going to have a lot of home runs and still a lot of bases where a whole bunch of gold chains. And, you know, that's a little different from a Nick Markakis who's more understated or a Freddie Freeman who's a bit of a quiet kind of leader, right? But, you know what? These guys make it work. I mean, the Latin guys play really well with the other guys and it it's a good thing. I think Ender Inciarte said, you know, everybody likes everybody, man. It doesn't matter what race, what culture, whatever. It's just 25 guys. And really, I'd say even more than that because, you know, with guys coming up and down, like Lucas Sims has come up and down four or five times or Luke Jackson has come up and down four or five times, right? So you get a lot of these guys who come up. So really, my I really say the whole 40 man because a lot of times you're going to see different guys come in and out so yeah there's a bunch of guys pulling on the same side of the road and a lot of that too i mean you know i don't know how long we're talking here but I hadn't even mentioned alex Anthopoulos and gm bringing it together bringing the analytics but still letting snit be snit you know snit brian snicker excuse me very old school manager allowing him to be him so really it's just basically the braves you know they they make they give everybody a role and they empower you to do your role yeah, you ain't let you do what you do. Yeah, I think that blend of old school and new school is becoming the kind of the tipping point for teams, you know, whether they're going to be successful in sort of the 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 new way of thinking or if they're going to try to do baseball the way baseball was always done. And I feel like in many respects, that's where the Cardinals are trying to go. They're not quite there yet. They haven't really found that balance of bringing in the guys who will – translate the analytics to the players correctly mm-hmm. um but kind of maintain that 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 cardinals thing that's a little bit old school that's just who they are and, and how they function so i think trying to find that balance is a little, so a little I, challenging so alex davos thing has a staff of and i've written about this before um that's staff of like 12 people right and so how it goes is that staff has one person who takes the information down to Eric Young and uh, Ron Washington. Eric Young, first base coach, coaches the outfielders. Ron Washington, Wash, of course, is third base coach, deals with the infielders. So they take the information down to those guys and then allow the coaches to give that information to the team. So they go down. And so before each series, Wash and EY will meet with said individuals and they'll go over what the analytics are. And then it'll go over how each player has a card, like an index card, about, you know, about like the size of my phone here, right? You know, and it'll have all these tendencies 
of where players like to hit the ball. If you notice, Bray's defensive numbers gotten a lot better, so they trusted. And then there's also a guy who does the same for the offense and for pitchers, right? So each person meets with that respective coach, whether it be someone meeting with Chuck Hernandez, who's a pitching coach, or someone meeting with Marty Reed, who's the bullpen coach, to make sure the bullpen comes out. Because sometimes I think with some of these analytic teams, you have all these, and I don't want to call them nerds, but all these, you know what I mean? Like, they're in the clubhouse, they're around too much, and where, where the Braves done it differently is they have one guy who talks to that coach, and then that coach relays that information where it needs to go. Yeah, and I think, and, I think that's really the key, because having a bunch of numbers, having a bunch of data is great, but if you can't translating it, translate it to the players in a meaningful way or to the coaching staff who can then do something with it, it's right. just a it's just a giant math problem, and that doesn't really make anyone better. <laughs> There's some players, and they allow every player to have a certain amount of freedom as to how much information right. they take in, right? Because some guys, like, say, Tyler Flowers, he is a very analytical guy on his own. Like, you know, he just has been into that stuff. So he probably gets the most information. Plus, too, with him being a catcher and having to deal with all these pitchers, he probably gets the most information of anybody. Maybe someone like... I don't know, say Nick Markakis maybe, probably gets a little less information than some other people. Not to say that Nick doesn't like the numbers, but, you know, just everybody has it. I mean, you know, Nick, Nick's, what, 12, 13-year veteran. He has an idea of what he wants to do, and he knows a lot more of these players and, you know, so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, you know, the card gives them an idea of where the defense is going to be in. That's something that Alex brought over from his time with the Dodgers. That's how they do it. So it's pretty cool, man. And, again, a lot of it, too, is, you know, somebody like Ron Washington. I mean, look, Wash played Major League Baseball. And as he will remind you, his shit ain't limited. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Funny story there if you go back and listen. So Wash will tell you. So, you know, Wash was a good baseball player. And then he came up the old school way in coaching and so on and so forth. And, I mean, this guy is known as an infielder guru. But – he still relies on information because it's exact. You can have like a whole hitter's history based upon a certain pitching count with these big, huge spray charts. So it just puts like fan graphs and stat cast to shame. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's the information to have. So then Wise gets it and he's like, yo, this, this is precise. Yeah. I yeah. can make this work. I was talking to a, a minor league uh, manager the other day, and basically what he was telling me is that it, it takes a lot of the guesswork out. It simplifies things. You're, you're not trying to, you're not spending as much time trying to identify things that that may or may not be accurate because you already have it. So once, instead of kind of wasting your time and and messing with your head, <laughs> you just you can identify things so much more quickly and so much more efficiently, and then move on to something else. So it's it's a fascinating process. I, I love seeing how other teams do it, and I think. Like I said, that's the balance that the Cardinals are, are maybe still trying to figure out as, as far as how they use it. And it's tough because, like, John Capolello was an analytic guy, but I think the way in which sometimes it was applied, and quite honestly, I mean, the team just wasn't as good either. I mean, these are much better players playing better. That helps. It, <laughs> it helps, man. It all helps. I mean, it, but you know what? I, and I also got to make sure I say this, you know, as much as, you know, Capolello did what he did, right? Okay, you know, it was what it was, and it came down what it was, but you know what? 
a lot of these guys that are playing are guys that he drafted or signed or traded for. So you look at Sean Newcomb, they got him in a trade. You look at Mike Fultonevich, they got him in a trade. Dancy Swanson, they got him in a trade. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, you look at these are all copies moves, you know. He went down and signed Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies. You know, Ronald Acuna's signing bonus is $150,000. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I started to say, like, you know, that man did make some good moves, and I do hope that, you know, we – that people give him a little bit of credit because he deserves some credit. Yeah. Now, when you look at this team, you look at the division, you look at where they are now, where they obviously hope to be riding this wave of success this season. Are there places where you think that they will try to make moves as we creep ever closer to the trade deadline? Is is there a place this team can improve to kind of keep that distance between them and at this point, the, the Washington Nationals? I, obviously, you know, if you ask Bray's Twitter, you'll you'll they'll say bullpen, <laughs> and, and they're probably right. I would assume bullpen would be a place, and because you have you kind of have a revolving door, and it would be nice to see either Lucas Sims or Max Freed or one of these guys win that particular close, not necessarily closer role, but just that long guy role, you know, and be consistent. And Jesse Biddle, by the way, has been really solid. You know, pitched three innings the other. Another day, and it came back two days later, pitched one inning. And I mean, so there's some hope there, but I do think they need one more. They're not necessarily be a closer, they're not necessarily be a closer, but just one more guy who can get clean innings. And I think if you do that, then you kind of push it down. Because really, if you look at it, assuming Vizcaino gets healthy, you look at that one more guy, whomever that may be, and then you look at mentor Vizcaino and Winkler in some order with that person coming in the sixth, you know, that makes the starters' lives a lot easier. Yeah, and, I think, you know, I think when you look at you look at really good teams, they've got the pitching. You've mentioned the, the starting pitching has, has been strong for this team. They've got the offense. We've seen the offensive numbers that, that this core has been putting up. It seems like those teams that are able to push it just far enough to be the best of the best – often end up going out and getting that one more bullpen piece to, to fill a hole or to fill a spot or just to make that that part of their game uh, as, <laughs> as uh, fortified as the rest of what they're doing. So that it doesn't surprise me, um, not because I pay that close attention to Braves Twitter, <laughs> but because, you know, it seems like well, really I mean, good teams. I mean, if you look at it, I'm sorry, go ahead. I mean, I, but if you look at it, the Braves bullpen, you know, was ranked ninth at the end of the week. You know, if that eighth, I mean, that's average. Yeah. Because there's worse bullpens in the National League. There's better ones, but there's worse ones. So they're literally right in the middle, which is average. It feels a lot worse because the only time people discuss the bullpen are, is when, you know, a game happened. Like, for instance, they played probably, you know, they, they only won one game against the Orioles. They probably could have won two of them, maybe even swept them if the bullpen was managed in a better way. But at the time on Friday, you didn't know that Arodis Vizcaino was injured. So you're looking at it, well, why is Winkler pinching a knife? Well, because that's what they had. So, you know, there's just times I think it's easy to pick on the manager. It's easy to pick on the bullpen when you don't fully know what's going on. Like, well, why didn't you pitch this guy or that guy? Well, you don't know if that guy went to Marty Reed, who's a bullpen coach, 
and say, hey, man, I, I ain't feeling it today. Stay away from me. And so when you don't see that guy go in the game when you think he should, oh, my God, why is he not pitching? Well, you don't know. Yeah. But again, I mean, sometimes it could just be the manager messed up, but we don't know. And I think sometimes as observers, it's very easy to point our fingers at stuff that may or may not be fair. Yeah, Cardinals, ha- Cardinals fans have had plenty of <laughs> opportunities to uh, to question bullpen moves uh, under the okay. Mike Matheny regime. But it happens, you know what? And the Cardinals' yeah. bullpen has also been a revolving door. There have been guys in and out and up and down, and the Cardinals have had so many injuries this season that it's hard to keep track of them all. Even this week, Michael Walker went down earlier, I guess towards the end of last week, um, in, in his last start, so he won't be making his next start, and, and that sets the rotation into a, a little bit of flux, which changes the guys who are in the bullpen. It's a whole, it's a whole process, and a lot of times those injuries are are more of an impact than anything else. But uh, hopefully, in this Braves Cardinals series, it doesn't necessarily come down to the bullpens. Uh, but you know, if it does, we'll uh, we'll see which which bullpen is exposed because that's sometimes how it goes. <laughs> Maybe that's how it goes, but it's 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 a baseball thing. I yeah. mean, there's only so many guys. In the world, who can pitch that way, you know? Yep. It is tough, and it's not easy. But that being said, I would also say that starters need to go deeper as well. But that's a whole other, you know, baseball philosophy conversation for a whole other day. Because, I mean, you know, now it's five five innings, 100 pitches in. That's quality start. Yeah. And if you're, yeah. if you're a team like the Brewers and you have a bullpen like they've constructed – Maybe that can maybe that can be sustainable. We've yet to see it work through the course of an entire season, but through well, most of the first half, they've been able to figure it out. And then you have teams doing crazy things, uh, playing with this opener role where you throw out a reliever in the first inning and then put your starter in the game. There's such a, a change in kind of trying to identify how to best utilize your staff right now that the starters, strangely, are kind of the ones that are sort of caught in no man's land as far as what needs to really happen between new school philosophy and old school philosophy. Man, everybody's trying to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, that's just what it is, and that's what life is. Everybody's trying to figure it out. And, you know, the game is never changing. But, you know, we say all that, and then, you know, you look at strikeouts are up. There's going to be potentially more strikeouts to hit. So, who knows? Baseball. Can't it's just just baseball, man. <laughs> well, new bias. I don't want to take too much more of your time today. Let people know where they can find you so they can follow you through this uh, Cardinals Brave series. All right, so is that in Wilborn nineteen? It's in W I L B O R N one nine on Twitter. My work is on Marietta Daily, the Marietta Daily Journal. That's NDJ Online on Twitter, as well as podcast Locked On Braves. That's at Locked On Brave. So that's where I'm at. Check me out. I also got some cool things coming up in the athletic as well. So, All right. So lots of ways to stay up to date on uh, what's going on in Atlanta. Well, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. So the Cardinals take on the Braves, continuing their stretch of games against teams that either are or have recently been in first place in their division. Not an easy way to try to gain any ground, but that is the task at hand for the Cardinals. For the Braves, they're trying to hold off an NL East that looked like it was going to be pretty tough heading into the season, starting with the Washington Nationals. And of course, now we're all talking trades, we're talking all-star appearances. There's a lot at stake for both of these teams right now, even though they're in very different scenarios. 
Thanks again to Tobias Wilborn for joining me. Make sure you follow him on Twitter for his coverage during the series and check him out on the Locked on Braves podcast, part of the Locked on Sports Network. For Birds on the Black, I'm Tara Wellman, and I'll see you next time.